as our kiddos are making their way out, I want to just quickly, before they leave, I want to just point out how well our kiddos are doing. Um, from a year ago, I don't even want to think about it, how, how different it's been. And so, kiddos, you all are doing awesome. Singing and praying and participating. And if you're a parent or a person who's got kiddos that you're caring for during service, I'm not just going to applaud the kiddos because that doesn't happen naturally that uh, kids just behave. So I want to also applaud the, the parents, the, the, the adoptive parents, uh, the grandparents, the great-grandparents that are, are loving and are teaching and training, uh, just as Deuteronomy 6, the next generation to, to honor and love the Lord. So uh, what an what a awesome testament and testimony that is. Uh, I'd ask for you uh, to turn with me uh, to... Peter, let me get my sermon notes, but as we look at uh, godly, fruitful lives, so 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 is where we'll be this morning, so 2 Peter 1, Peter is, uh, if you've gone to Revelation, you're a little too far, Uh, if you've gone to 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John, you're also a little too far. But if you hang just a, a, a brief left from 1 John, you'll be there in 2 Peter. So it is in the back part of the New Testament, Peter's second letter to the church. So as you're finding your way there, uh, we're looking at this clause in our covenant that we will prove our conversion by living godly, fruitful lives. Proving our conversion by living godly, fruitful lives. By way of introduction, the farmer's market starts this Saturday. So if you don't have enough festivities going on with Mother's Day, I would invite you to come over to the Parklands and uh, find some some sweet treats. But in thinking about uh, this farmer's market, uh, I'm not an agricultural guru. I joked with Annie that I'm certainly not a green thumb as I was weeding our garden this weekend. Uh, I began to pull at what I found out was flowers and was told, don't do that. Uh, So I'm not super familiar uh, with some of these analogies, but I am familiar with uh, the tell Jack and the Beanstalk. Now we know these uh, mystical beans provide this beanstalk that goes all the way up into the sky. So let's just say that's not possible, right? If if you go into a garden with the intention of planting something, say you want to plant tomatoes. I don't know what the time frame is that you should do that. So this is not me giving professional advice. But if you wanted to go and plant tomatoes and you go to a hardware store or a nursery and you ask them for uh, cucumbers or you ask them for some kind of pepper seeds. And the person at the counter says, oh, looks like you're prepping a garden for some salsa. You're wanting some? And you say, yep, that's right. I'm wanting some tomatoes. That person's going to look at you and they're going to say, sir, ma'am, you don't have the right thing 
to get what you want. That seems like a foolish analogy, but so often when it comes to the Christian life, we might think of fruitfulness of just the end result, right? If, if I can, uh, to just point at myself, if I can just wear a bow tie and a jacket to church on Sunday, like, man, that's, that is a fruitful life. And let me say, it's not. Or I can be there at Sunday school and that is fruitful enough. It's not. I can just not yell at my spouse. I was going to say this week, but today, let's just say in this 24 hour period, I'll not do that. And that's a fruitful life. That's a good thing, but that's not fruit. We can't just look at the ends and totally forget about what it takes to get there. And in this clause, I want us to see this, this almost circle nature of these two very uh, contained themes of godliness and fruitfulness. And that if you were to ask me, well, can you be godly and not be fruitful? No. Can you be fruitful and not be godly? In a worldly sense, yes, but in a spiritual sense, no. Because it's God who gives the growth. And so the answer would be a godly life and a fruitful life are one in the same. But I want to take them from two different views. So if you would, let's read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And I'd ask if you're able to please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 through 11, Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you may be seated. This morning, I want us to see from this passage in 2 Peter that godliness and authentic fruitfulness come from an intimate connection with Jesus. Godliness and authentic fruitfulness come from an intimate connection with with Jesus. What do I mean when I say authentic? 
watching because I now am the market manager for the Eastwood Farmers Market. I was watching a documentary on Canadian farmers markets. You're invited over to our house at any time. Things get crazy there. We watch weird things like that. But in it, there was this drug bust of sorts that uh, they found out that these farmers were not farming their own produce. <gasps> I know, you're shocked. They would, they would have them delivered on trucks from a local big box store. So when we think about authentic fruitfulness, or we think about fruitfulness in general, we want to think about authentic fruit. Because we need to be mindful that there might be a seeming fruitfulness in a person's life that dies out after a certain time. That's not Christian fruitfulness. Right? We just read, as our scriptural call to worship, that a tree, a person planted near the streams of living water of God's word, will be like a tree that produces fruit in its season. So authentic fruit is long-standing. For Jesus says, won't a tree be known by its fruit? And we're looking for genuine fruit. So from this, that godliness and authentic fruitfulness comes from an intimate connection with Jesus. I want you to walk away this morning that you would investigate your life. Right? This phrase in our covenant says we will prove. So I want you to investigate your life to see if the fruit or fruitlessness points to a love for Jesus. That you would investigate your life to see if the fruit or fruitlessness points to a love for Jesus. Before I get into my points, I want to just say, because I kind of feel as it's coming out for the first time, it feels like there could be a wall of hostility. What, what are we talking about here? Why exactly are we going through this? Does, this doesn't seem to be something that we should probably be preaching on. This seems really like you're really getting in my life now, Pastor. I think so. And it seems about time. <laughs> this thought, as we'll look at it throughout our time this morning, is a very Christian and very biblical thought. Why are you examining the fruit of my life? Well, because it's of utmost importance. Think about it. If you have a genuine love for something, maybe it's a genuine love for your children. You don't have to be asked about your children. Maybe on some days you do, but generally you don't have to be asked. Maybe it's your grandchildren or others in your family that you just, when you get to talk about them, man, you just, it's, it's there. It's all on your face. You're just so excited. It could be any of those different things, but when you have a genuine love for something, the fruit of that love shows itself, period. It shows itself. And friends, I am just as guilty of this as anyone else in this room. Because if I were to put my life on the scales, yes, I get to preach on Sunday morning. Yes, I get to tell people about Jesus for a living. That is a great grace and a great privilege. 
But if I were to think about the things this last week that I got the most excited about, the things that produced fruit out of my mouth, the things that brought my heart the most joy, I would be guilty in saying it wasn't Jesus. Now that's not to say I didn't find joy in Jesus at all this week. But if I look at what is the thing that is bringing my heart the most joy in the way and the time and all of the words and all of the things that flow out of my life, I need to investigate my life. I need to drill into a love for Jesus. So godliness and authentic fruitfulness come from an intimate connection with Jesus. Three ways I think we see this in the text. First, our conversion, right? If we're to prove our conversion, here's what Peter says. Our conversion is a grace. Our conversion is a grace revealed in the knowledge of Christ and his finished work. Look at verses three and four. Peter says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, that is Jesus, who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Friends, think about those verb usages. Who is the one doing? You have been called. You have been granted. Even when it comes to the things that are true of us, that we have escaped or that we have become, those are passive realities of us. Our salvation and therefore our conversion is a grace granted to us, called, we have been called, into this relationship. Think about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It is for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Peter, writing this, again, three times identifies it as God's action. God does this. God called. God granted. And we'll see later that God is also the one who delivered us from those things. Called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us this precious and great promise so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful Desires, Friends, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, what a reminder. That even in that, it's a, it's a remembrance of what He's done. It's this reminder of the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. That through the blood of Jesus, the perfect, spotless blood of Jesus, we can come. We're called to Come. Secondly, not only is our conversion a grace, 
Secondly, where Peter drives home this thought of godliness and therefore fruitfulness is that godliness is a fruit of genuine faith. If our conversion is a gift, and if our conversion is genuine, godliness then is a fruit of genuine faith. And Peter goes one step further and says, learned by practice. Godliness is a fruit of genuine faith learned by practice. Before we get to the learning by practice, I want us to go back to verses 3 and 4, that not only have we been called, not only have we been granted, but we've been positionally seated in a different place. Right? If we think about godliness, we ought to then think about the root of that that being God. If we want to be like something, we ought to know what it is, what He is. Look at how He says it in verse 4, that we may become partakers of the, what nature? Divine nature. Positionally, we've been changed, right? We have been converted. We've been changed from a sin nature to now a divine nature. We are now partakers if we've trusted in Christ. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world, what does that mean? That means we're fleeing from darkness and we're going to the light. That is what godliness looks like. Godliness is becoming more like God. His holiness, in His justice, in His pursuit of truth. But godliness is, is not just an it. Godliness is not just a, another box to check. Godliness is also a hymn. We see in verse 3 that we are called to him, called us to his own glory and excellence. This conversion is a calling us to himself. Godliness is both an it and it is a hymn. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes to young Timothy, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. If you're sitting there and you're like, yep, this seems like a mystery to me. I want to be more like God. That means I need to know God. It means I need to thrive and love His Son, uh, the epitome of godliness. He is the perfect picture of of God, but here's how Paul continues. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in all the world, taken up in glory. If we want to be godly, if we want to have fruitful lives. It is not just a 12 steps to being godly. It's look at Jesus. Look on him. Love him. For he, Colossians 1 verse 15 says, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, he, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Friends, if you want to know what it looks like to live a godly life, do not look to 15 or 12 steps. 15 characteristics of being a godly person. Look to Jesus. 
Look to Jesus, who in requiring a perfect obedience to the law, He achieved it. We can't even comprehend that. One author says uh, of godliness, he defines it this way, respect for God. Godliness is respect for God that affects the way a person lives. I want to go a little bit further than that because I think that's true and right and good, but it doesn't go far enough. I think I've already shown my cards. Respect is looking on the person and work of Jesus as the example and as godliness incarnate. Not mere godliness, as if he was not God. He is God. Jesus is God, and to see him, we see the Father. So it is looking on the face of Jesus... Loving Him. So godliness is a fruit of genuine faith learned by practice. Here's how Peter talks about it. Verses 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort. Right? Here's the responsibility. Conversion is Christ saving you through the power of the Spirit. And now, confirming your calling and election is now this dual working. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul writes in Philippians, and you, Peter says, confirming or making every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you may be saying, that seems like a list, pastor. That seems like a list of things to living a godly life. And you just told us it's not about a list, it's about Jesus. Look at how Peter sums all of this up. For if these qualities are yours, go on, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of who? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reminder of this list is that this list won't be yours if you don't love Jesus. If you don't know him, and if you don't know him in a saving way, this list won't be yours. Because there's no way for ungodly people to be godly or produce godly fruit. There's no way. Just like a jalapeno plant cannot sprout tomatoes. It cannot happen. That's why we need to be converted. For those in the room this morning, that's not a hard argument. Yes, pastor, we do need to be converted. I remember what my life was like. I needed to be changed. I was ungodly. It was worldly. It was sinful. It was apart from God. It was all of these different things. Maybe you say that's a little extreme, but that's true of us because the Bible says that's true of us apart from Christ. But now in Christ, if we supplement, if we make every effort in the faith to supplement it with virtue, 
knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Friends, those things aren't natural dispositions to any of our hearts, I think I can say with pretty bold assurance. That's why we must work. We must work from a foundation that Jesus has secured us. Remember, our conversion is a grace. And from that grace, godliness is a fruit. And it can be learned by practice. Friends, make every effort. Third, fruitlessness is confirming of a false conversion. Fruitlessness is confirming of a false conversion. Verses 9 through 11. Follow with me as I read. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to be, as always, honest to the text. In reading this, Peter says that this person, not practicing these qualities, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. What does that remind us? This person has genuine faith. For our sins cannot be forgiven apart from genuine faith. Our sins are forgiven when we place our faith in Jesus and cling to Him for our hope of eternal life. That seems to be true of this person in verses 9 through 11, but they have continued to neglect the work. They've continued to put off godliness, and therefore they're no longer being fruitful. For fruitlessness is confirming of a false Conversion. Think about how James in James chapter 2, verse 17 says that faith without works is dead. Think about Jesus when he heals the man who is lame sitting out by the pool. And Jesus says, Take up your bed and walk. And the religious leaders look at him and say, What do you who do you think you are? It's the Sabbath. You can't do this. And Jesus, what does he say? Which would be easier to say, your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? The reality is that it would be much easier for a person to say, your sins are forgiven. Or to go in the direction of our sermon, you're saved. Right? We don't believe that. We don't believe that there is some kind of a, a, a supernatural authority that I have to be able to stand before you in account, and stand before God on your account and say, this person's saved. That's not how that works. I'm not your mediator between God. Jesus is your mediator between God. And James says, faith without works is Dead. So claiming, we might say, faith without fruit is not real or genuine faith. Let me say it again. Faith without fruit is not real or genuine 
faith. Peter explains the reality by saying, if you lack these qualities, you're so nearsighted and blind, having forgotten that you have been cleansed from your sin. Two things we see in this warning. First, we see a correlation between fruitlessness or fruitfulness. Let me start over. First, we see a correlation between fruitfulness and salvation. Or, using our covenants wording, our conversion. We see a correlation between fruitfulness and our conversion. Explained, if we genuinely are converted, we will produce fruit. The fruit of, but not limited to, virtue. Knowing what is right, knowing what is true, being virtuous, honorable, knowledge. And we're not talking about having a very high IQ or doing well on the ACT, praise God. But what we're talking about is knowledge of Christ, just as we've seen. That we would have this knowledge, verse 8, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, that we wouldn't just have knowledge, we'd have self-control. Self-control comes from knowledge. That we know what's right and good, virtue, knowledge, and that we would then exhibit, that we would practice self-control, that we would be steadfast. Paul in Ephesians says, being steadfast, immovable. We would be godly. We would look upon the face of Jesus and see his perfect record, to see the way that he was quiet in the midst of his accusers, to see his humility in the midst of being the creator of all things. Friends, that we would be godly, that we would exhibit, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. This list of Peter's ought to ring in your ears a similar list that we see elsewhere in the New Testament. As the children's song, we don't have any children in here, but maybe young parents know it, and maybe others of you know it. The fruit of the Spirit's not a... All right, I'm seeing some smiles. You just don't want to say it. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. I know. I know you knew. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Daniel, you can totally sing it, buddy. We'll be fine with that. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Rather, Paul writes in Galatians verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, that this godliness, this fruit of the Spirit welling up within you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Friends, this godliness, this internal fruit, spreads out, spreads out. Is that fruitfulness true of you? Is that fruitfulness true of you? For fruitlessness is confirming of a false conversion. Second thing we see about fruitlessness being confirming, we see that the confirmation of our conversion is that we practice these things. And when we do, we will not fall. We practice these things. I've shared this verse before, probably many times, so you may get sick of it, but that's fine. For bodily exercise, 
profits little. Right? So for those of us that maybe need some bodily exercise, that's why I said us, not you. I said us. For those of us that need that, it profits us little, but godliness unto all things. That was our team verse my senior year of high school playing football. You don't get to go out and play on Friday nights without practice. No matter if you're Allen Iverson or anybody else, you must practice these things. And the reminder is you don't practice them because you're trying to put on a show. You practice these things because it's true of you. I'm not trying to be godly. I am godly. I'm not trying to produce fruit. I am actually producing fruit. God in me. similar caution of unfruitfulness. John chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And later in John 15, verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch. And withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. What's the reminder? Abide in Him. Fruitfulness does not come apart from an intimate connection with Jesus, where you have trusted Him by faith, therefore becoming godly on the process of becoming more godly, that we would be fruitful, not for our own sake, but for Him, for His sake. Let me read in conclusion, and I'll give you our applications. But in conclusion, Ray Ortland writes this beautiful reminder of how we need godliness. Here's how he says it. Older people need the power of godliness in their hearts because they have little time left to get ready for heaven. Middle-aged people need the power of godliness in their hearts because they are strongly tempted to coast, to rest on their laurels, to become dull and mediocre. Young families need the power of godliness in their hearts because they are forging the convictions that will shape their home for a lifetime. Singles need the power of godliness in their hearts because they can gain or they can forfeit single-minded devotion to Jesus. Students and teenagers need the power of godliness in their hearts because they are being targeted by the world with brilliant and attractive seductions. Children need the power of godliness in their hearts while they are young and open to be set apart for God forever. That's Ray Ortland writing in his commentary on the book of Isaiah. Three applications and we're done. If it is true... That godliness and authentic fruitfulness comes from an intimate connection with Jesus. What ought we to do first? First, grow in your knowledge and love of Christ. For godliness and fruitful living do not come apart from knowing and loving Christ. Grow in your knowledge and love of Christ. You may be desiring to reap a spiritual crop that does not match the seeds that you have been planting. Let me say that again. You may be desiring to reap a spiritual crop that doesn't match the seeds that you have been planting. You may say, 
pastor, I, I want to see this kind of fruit. I want to see souls saved. I want to see uh, the proclamation of the gospel go out. Well, how's your devotion to the Lord been? Can't, can't I do that? No, you can't. Not only can you not, you won't want to. This isn't a, I can do better. You can't. It's Christ and the love that he has for us that ought to and does compel us. So to be godly, to be fruitful, you must grow in your knowledge and love of Christ for godliness and fruitful living do not come apart from knowing and loving him. Remember verse 3. Through the knowledge of Him, that is Jesus, who called us to His own glory and excellence, so that we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped sinful desires and corruption through Christ. How can I be godly? Through Him. How can I be fruitful? Through Him who cleansed you from sin. Our godliness and fruitfulness is a response of a genuine Conversion, does this seem true of your life? Does this seem true of your life? Second application, don't put this off. Don't put this off. There's an urgency here. Verse 5 and verse 10, look at how Peter uses impassioned language when he says, make every effort. He doesn't say, man, just do your best. Try when you can. Think about exhibiting this on Tuesdays and Thursdays, because I know your, your week's a little crazy. You don't want to do Monday through Friday. Just start with Tuesday and Thursday. No, he says, make every effort. And in verse 10, he says, be all the more diligent. What's the reminder? Just as Ortland says, there are so many things coming at us that are causing us to relinquish godliness and to be godless. There are things that are causing us to be, uh, to relinquish fruitfulness and causing us to be unfruitful. Why? Because the kingdom of darkness wants to reign as long as he can. Christ has come, His kingdom has come, and He desires to use the church and this church and you to push back darkness. Don't push this off. I feel like I haven't talked about this enough because a lot of godliness and a lot of this fruit that we're talking about is internal. It's internal. When Jesus talks to the woman at the well and He says, do you want this living water? She says, where can I get it? Do I, do I need to hang a left down at Mary's house? How do I need to get this living water? I'll go wherever I need you to get it. He says, no, this living water is eternal, but it doesn't. Uh, it's, it's not only eternal, but it's internal. But what does it do? It springs up. A love for Jesus, a true conversion, a true salvation springs up to where the fruitfulness doesn't just stay in seed form, but it shows out. No one plants a crop for the seed to just stay in the ground. We plant to be able to see. So don't just 
have an urgency to cultivating godliness and internal fruit in your life. Certainly do that. But also remember that there is a real war going on. A battle of dark and light. People need to know about Jesus. People need to see the fruit of your life. As we're reminded, let your light shine before men that they would see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Friends, don't put this off. Don't think, well, maybe when life gets a little less crazy, maybe when things slow down, maybe when I retire, maybe when the semester's done, sorry if that hits close to home, there is an urgency. Third and finally, turn to Jesus. The true and perfect example of Jesus. Turn to Jesus. This third one is good for us all, but it particularly is there for those who perhaps have not turned to him already. Turn to Jesus. For the believer, the reminder that the Ephesian church received in Revelation. You forgot the love you had at first. Friends, if you're a believer... If you are a believer, develop a deep love for Christ in that way. That means remembering and repenting. We'll get in that later. Remembering and repenting. And if you are in this room and you look at this and you say, I don't know that I see any of this fruit. The same call is for you to turn to Jesus not remembering a salvation you once had, but by turning and repenting, perhaps for the first time today. Turn to Jesus, the true and perfect example of godliness. For godliness and authentic fruitfulness come from an intimate connection with Jesus. May we pursue that as a church that seeks to be rooted and grounded in Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have this opportunity to open up your word and to hear it, to be encouraged toward godliness and to fruitful living. God, I pray that we as a church would not only pursue that individually, but that we would encourage one another to pursue these things corporately. What an amazing reality we might be able to see if we see individual believers in this church living fruitful lives, godly lives together that impact and change our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.